Uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, October 19th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the nixing of Issue 1 from ballots, the removal of another 4,000 from Medicaid rolls because of a new work requirement rule, and new reporting on Little Rock Police Department abuse and bad behavior. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. So, the state Supreme Court dealt the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce two big defeats this week. Firstly, it upheld a lower court ruling striking Issue 1, the lawsuit limit and court takeover amendment from the ballot. It also declined a petition signature challenge against the proposal to raise the minimum wage. Later in the week, the court also disqualified the ballot question on term limits. Yeah, so we've got our ballot fixed, finally. Took until all these things, by the way, will appear on your ballot. Right. But if you vote for them, they won't. Count. Doesn't matter. You don't have to think about them or know right. about them. So, uh, well, the big news was issue one, simply because that's how much where all the money was being spent—a couple of million dollars so far, I think. And this is uh, tort reform is one way you describe it. It was uh, a limit on damages, non-economic damages, and lawsuits driven by the nursing home industry and the medical industry particularly. Also a limit on uh, lawyers, contingency fees. Also, two parts of the amendment were things that would have allowed the legislature to take control of court rules away from the Arkansas Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, somewhat to my surprise, I think, in a six-to-one decision, uh, said that, that the challenge to this amendment was correct, that the Constitution says you can only present voters a single issue when you ask them to amend the Constitution on the ballot, and these were four distinct things in the amendment. The defenders of it said, well, they were all germane, the kind of which is a standard the court has adopted in the past, loosely related to each other, but the court didn't buy that. They said you might be able to say that the court things were related. You might be able to say damages and attorney's fees were related. But those two big groups were very different things, which, of course, is correct. I say I'm surprised because the court is leaning very conservative. But they even brought along some staunchly conservative members of the court on the decision. Only Sean Womack, who, as a Republican senator, was a sponsor of tort reform measures, uh, said we should leave this up to the legislature's broad discretion. Uh, you know, this is a—I mean, it's a, it's a big immediate win— but the issue will be back, and perhaps in a form that's easier for them to to approve. I think one thing that happened this year was I think if this had reached the ballot, there was a chance it would have been defeated. Uh, they got greedy, in short. They, 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 went, they didn't just simply ask for limits on lawsuit damages, as many other states have done. They wanted to take over the courts in the event that some other issues might not yet known might develop where they would want the legislature to further hamstring the court. And that, that brought a lot of establishment lawyers out against them, judges against them. Although it, it was true, I think you can't underestimate, much as I hate to admit it, the opposition of the family council and similar conservative Christian groups who decided it was anti-life to set a low limit on on a person's life when you when you limit non-economic damages what you end up doing is mostly affecting damages to children and to old people in nursing homes that is they have no proven economic viability so you can't win economic damages for them all you can get are damages for their pain and suffering for the neglect and abuse of them and that is kind of a cold thing and somehow or another they brought Jerry Cox along on that so there was this there was a pretty good amount of opposition 
to this. The Chamber of Commerce doesn't often lose, but they lost this one. I noticed crazy Trent Garner, the putative lawyer from Camden in the state Senate who's a hothead about just about everything. Isn't he from El Dorado? He's from Camden, isn't he? I mean, he, I don't think he's from El Dorado. I think he's from, well, unless he moved. I don't know. Anyway, I don't think, but maybe. Uh, he went to high school in Camden, I know that, but anyway. Uh, he uh, has threatened to cut the Supreme Court's budget in retaliation. He says they've overstepped their, their role in the government, and it's an imbalance of power, and so he's going to cure that by showing just how much power the legislature has, which, is, of course, what this was all about was utter control of every branch of government, courts and executive by the legislature. So, and, and Yeah, as, as my friend Austin Bailey and others noted on Twitter, this is a, Precisely why the legislature shouldn't have more power. No, it's just reaction because they will, and and not to mention that they're a bunch of corrupt yo-yos. But besides, uh, the the term limits question had been uh, recommended uh, not to be included by a special master, so this wasn't a huge surprise. No, but it was interesting because the the vote was four to three. It was very close, and and Chief Justice Dan Kemp gave. The swing vote, in my view, uh, I guess it was uh, Joe Hart, Karen Baker, and Robin Wynn dissented. And this is a very technical issue, and, and it all amounted to the interpretation of a fairly new law that was aimed at making it very difficult to get popular initiatives on the ballot. They set different rules for paid canvassers than for volunteer canvassers. You have to submit a list of who your canvassers are going to be. They have to have a criminal background check. Some 4,000 signatures were, were thrown out because the canvassers registered by their home address. They Most of these people come from out of state. But then when they signed the petitions, they listed as an address where they were staying at the time they were gathering the signatures. And the court bought an argument that this ran afoul of what the law said on what you're supposed to say about your residence, even though they submitted an affidavit saying we were kind of confused about this, what this meant, and clearly we lived somewhere else, but we were spending the night in Arkansas while we did this. They threw those out for that reason. They threw out thousands of signatures that were gathered before background checks had been completed, though they were ultimately completed. These people were legal. And, and, and the dissenters said, no, we think you've gone too far in interpreting this law. The law doesn't say what it says it says, but as in the end, it's four to three. They threw out just enough signatures, 14,000 of them, to bring them, under, to bring them under the limit they needed. So that killed it. It, was, it would have been the most strict term limits law in the country, and I was ready to vote for it for reason of getting rid of people like Trent Garner sooner rather than later. Uh, whether they'll be back with another drive, this is their second one. The legislature overrode this one with a misleading ballot proposal approved in 2014. So who knows? But in any event, we're left with the minimum wage increase, a casino expansion, and then the legislatively referred uh, voter ID, photo ID requirement for the uh, Constitution, which wasn't challenged and in some ways is the worst of the bunch, but probably will be approved. What do you think about casinos? Well, you know, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of casino gambling. I think to a certain degree, Arkansas is, like in a lot of things, behind the curve. They're everywhere now, and there's online gambling now, and, and we're behind. I've always thought that our existing system, which allowed 
essential casinos at Oakland and Southland was unfair and probably illegal. It's been done under a ruse of electronic games of skill, and it's it's not. It's just a casino without the cards and the tables. And 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 they've always Oakland and Southland control the the battlefield, but. Uh, they're not going to go away. Uh, if they're going to be casinos, they might as well be real casinos. Uh, and, and I was, what this almost certainly means is the new casino operators, if the amendment is approved, which is by no means certain, will be uh, Indian tribes from Oklahoma, uh, the Quapaws uh, in Cherokees, I guess. And I, I kind of, I mean, they're not exactly underdogs. They're very successful casino operators. But the business community in Little Rock, partly because of influence from Oaklawn Jockey Club, did everything they could do to screw the Quapaws when they when they acquired some of their tribal land near the Little Rock Port. They said not necessarily for a casino, although I think that was always a possibility. And they did everything they could to keep them out of Little Rock and to, and to stymie their effort. And so. I kind of like the idea of them getting in the casino business, even if it is in Pine Bluff. And there's a great looming question that I haven't seen develop, but it's my understanding of the very arcane law that applies to Native Americans and casino gambling that Indians are able, Indian tribes are able to have whatever form of gambling is legalized in a state on their tribal lands. Now, they have to have a compact with the state, and it's not automatic. There are a lot of steps you have to go through, but I just kind of hope that someday this means, someday maybe the Quapaw could get their casino in Little Rock after all, despite everything. But that's not really an issue in this, but it's sort of in the back of my mind. But it's a huge tax break for Southland and Oakland. They'll be even more profitable. That's why they've either been supportive or silent on the amendment. Southland really needs the casino to pass because it's in a very uneasy legal status. Uh, Oakland has more protection in the Constitution than Southland does. And dog racing is on its way out. It's only legal in six states. Florida may be about to make it illegal. It's, But without paramutual wagering on dogs, Southland can't have a casino under current law. So this, this amendment saves them for all time. It makes them legal forever. So they really need it. And that's why they're out there pushing it. That and they make a ton of money in West Memphis because they're right across the river from a big city that sends them a lot of gamblers. Have you seen polling on this? I have not. And I just, you know, past casino proposals have always been beaten. Uh, but at the moment, there, there's no organized opposition. I think the family council will put out flyers in churches Asa Hutchinson said he opposes it, but I don't think that means anything in terms of vote and little is being said. And the casino people are spending a fortune uh, on the the economic development angle, which is sometimes useful. I think the best ad they have is Barry Switzer talking about how great it's, you know, our native Arkansas football coach talking about how great it's been for Oklahoma. I happen to think that's a particularly effective ad. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Arkansas's work requirement rule dropped another 4,100 beneficiaries from Medicaid in October. So combined with coverage losses in September, the state's now dropped 8,500 Medicaid recipients from rolls. And it looks like another 4,000 will come at the end of one more month. And the, the, the problem is, is that 
and, and, and Asa Hutchinson said, well, this is great. Because, I mean, he suggests that either these people have moved or gone somewhere else or they just don't want to work. And we, 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 don't, we don't really know for sure who's right and who's wrong. But we do know anecdotally in many cases people don't know about the rule. They can't comply with the rule. And this is just a punitive step that's being done to, to bring over people that think if you give welfare, you've got to take a pound of flesh out of somebody. Okay. Well, we've talked about it quite a bit. So. Yeah, no, just, and, you know, and at some point a federal judge is going to rule, and I hope rule that this rule is unconstitutional or illegal. Though likely not until 2019. No, it's not anytime soon. The Washington Post is, Post's Radley Balco published a devastating account of an out-of-control Little Rock Police Department uh, about a week ago. His reporting found questionable use of no-knock search warrants and unreliable informant, suspect testimony by officers, constitutional violations in search warrant issuance, dangerous tactics, unjustified arrests, and a pattern of emphasis on black suspects. I think it's huge. And uh, there, there's a pending lawsuit that was brought pro se by a guy who was a victim of one of these raids who had his door blown open on a thoroughly dishonest affidavit filed by a confidential informant. He happened to have a video camera in his apartment. You know, you see these 10 military equipped guys bust into a place after blowing the door open with explosives and they come up with nothing. Well, they found a little bit, a very little bit of marijuana. They went ahead and charged him for it. I mean, which gives you some idea about how abusive the police are. And those charges were dropped. But it, it, this, and, and this guy got kicked, kicked out of his apartment. He got for kicked this. out of his apartment. It created all kinds of problems for him. We've had a old grandmother who got rousted. I think there are dozens. They 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 found a hundred cases where I think in twenty things they came up with nothing, and then a bunch of others where they came up with maybe some marijuana or maybe some prescription drugs that might have been illegal. And again, experts in the field say you don't need to blow doors open to do these kind of things, but I think they just like their toys. And there's an undeniable racial element of this. You have mostly white SWAT teams busting in, mostly on black and Latino people's houses. And the city board has just been derelict on this. Kathy Webb tried a little bit to get the board to discuss it Tuesday, but they all want to back the chief. And unfortunately, the chief is in a, who's has not covered himself with glory as a manager has thrown in politically with the fraternal order of police. He's decided to side with the overwhelmingly, even though he's of African-American himself, seems to decide to side with the majority white officer force, most of whom don't live in Little Rock because they say it's dangerous. And I just don't think you can look at a pattern in practice by the Little Rock Police Department over many years and not only in this stunning expose of drug practices and not conclude that the fact that we have a suburban police force of white officers who think this is a dangerous city, partially because it's majority black, that that isn't reflected in how they police the city they work in. And, and I, something's got to be done about it. I, I happen to think it is the issue in the mayor's race. And ask about some of this. I do think that, I mean, there have been a couple of things. One, Warwick Saban said he'd get rid of Buckner pretty flatly. He alone is in that category, I think. And that's 
good for him. But Frank Scott issued the toughest statement of all in response to the Washington Post expose. He said, you know, this isn't news to me. I grew up in a poor black neighborhood. This has been a fact of life all my life and something. He said the Justice Department ought to investigate. Of course, the Trump Justice Department is not a good place to go to look for racial equity. But nonetheless, I mean, used to be they were our protectors. And and I think if Eric Holder were Attorney General, we might could get him in here for this. And and it would be a good thing. And so Frank Scott gets points for that for sure. Yeah, I mean, the city has got to, the city board has got to do something. Buckner's got to answer for this. And right now he's declined to comment because of the lawsuit. But 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 the lawsuit at this moment is over a single it's person, a Roderick thing. Talley. And we have a hundred raids that have been called into question. And I think they dismissed another charge today against somebody else that was brought as a result of this dishonest informant. And, and th- there's a pretty strong evidence that they didn't properly vet. You know, you can't just issue a warrant just because a, a confidential informant, who nearly always a criminal, is trying to get easier treatment on their own problems. I mean, you need some corroborating testimony, and I think the pattern has been that the police want to raid somebody, they raid somebody, and nobody raises questions. Well, now there's some real civil rights lawyers on this. I suspect this case will broaden beyond Roderick Talley, but in the meanwhile, I mean, we have people whose apartments have been damaged and unjustly and repairs have not been made we've had people falsely accused we've had people had to pay lawyers fees to get out of trouble that they shouldn't have been in we've got a pattern and practice of discrimination in who we arrest i mean it seems to me if if you consider yourself an elected public representative you ought to have something to say about this yeah well that's not to mention the the story we did first thing this year about the the police doing investigative stops uh, and calling it community policing, where they were just pulling over people for busted taillights and, you know, in, in hopes of getting a, no, a, a the, bus. The, there needs to be a fix, and, and, and I hope, I hope the, uh, you know, I was disappointed somewhat at Baker Curris, who's a candidate for mayor, who I feel very positive about in many respects, who said, well, we have an internal means of reviewing these sorts of things. Well, I simply don't trust police internal investigations. That they can't be looked upon to do a trustworthy investigation. Well, there's no evidence so far, certainly. That. No, no. Uh, and Balco of the Washington Post has promised more reporting. He says he has much more to come. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll stay on it. Uh, let's let's do kind of a check in with the the election just a few weeks out. Uh, the the big political news this week, of course, was the just over the top, cartoonishly awful and racist uh, ad targeting Clark Tucker by a, a North Carolina outfit um, that uh, had a line about uh, white Democrats lynching black people. Well, and he actually has another series of ads that talks about how white Democrats want to abort black babies in utero. So anyway, I, but. You know, this has been a huge deal. It's gotten national attention justifiably because these ads that are airing on black radio stations, and by the way, the guy behind them, a guy named Vernon Robinson from North Carolina, says he won't pull them uh, because they're so crazy and over the top. You know, what I really don't know is how it shakes out. Uh, 
I, the Republican Party finally got so nervous about it that even they repudiated them and even filed an ethics complaint today, which is really meaningless wind addressing because it can't be decided before the election and the punishment for doing it is a small fine anyway. But, but I do think, but it is part of a pattern in practice by the Republicans on other advertising that is meant to stir racial fears. It's, it's fair to saddle French Hill with it to a degree because, you know, we've seen the MS-13 ads and the Republican Party has been built on Arkansas on racism for the last decade on Barack Obama. And so this is kind of, kind of their deal, but this is so, what this is about. This ad is about is doing something to affect black voter turnout in favor of a Democrat. Uh, and how successful, I mean, I, I don't happen to be in the group, which Republicans frequently are in, that believe black voters are dumb sheep who can be easily herded wherever you want to herd them. I think they're as sophisticated as any voter and know what's good for them and know what's bad for them. Uh, I, I don't know if they would believe these ads, but to the extent that they run on a popular morning show, uh, Steve Harvey, I think, is where they're running a lot of these and in influential urban radio station formats, maybe they diminish enthusiasm. Maybe they diminish turnout. And I think that they're, the, the, the math on this is, is pretty simple. Uh, if Clark Tucker is going to beat French Hill, he has to clobber him in Pulaski County. And to clobber him in Pulaski County, that depends not just on winning the black vote, which he will win, but I mean on really getting a great turnout on the black vote, which is not real big in midterm elections historically. And not real big as a proportion of their percentage of the population in Little Rock historically either. And so there have been a lot of things that have happened, little stories planted. You know, French Hill has recruited a few black people who support him. Any kind of little thing they can do that can carve a little bit of the edge off that's all important. I mean, that's that's ju- just as it's important for Clark Tucker, and I, I can't really evaluate what he's done to do this. If there is a reachable slice of independent voters in the suburbs that because of Trump or whatever reason are more likely to vote a Democrat than Republican as they've done recently, if he can move, he, he's not going to win White County. But if he can move some people in White County, I mean, it's this have, you know, I, I still remember distinctly when Vic Snyder beat Mark Stodola for the Democratic nomination for second district Congress the first time he ran. Everybody thought Stodola was cruising to victory. He carried every county except Pulaski, and Pulaski had a huge voter snafu that day and came in late. And I was on radio. I said, just hold on, because Pulaski County's going to decide this race. And it came in big for Snyder, and he won. Now, can Clark Tucker do that? I don't know, but I do think the reaction of the Democrats, of the Republicans, indicate that the race may be close. Maybe we can hope. You wouldn't. You wouldn't think that this ad necessarily would give would make a huge difference, but maybe gives a little bump to Tucker in a way because it's so ridiculous. Gets a lot of play everywhere. Yeah. It, Except I, I kind of had, yes, and, and clearly I think the Republicans feel that it on balance has a positive for Tucker. However, when I look at the average Trump voter, 
and, and this isn't true of all of them, I know, and, and I'm about to exaggerate, but, but I, I kind of think that there's X number of people in that tribe who say, you say he's a racist? That's my man. Sure, though uh, the 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 voters that Tucker is looking to peel off and Democrats generally are the apathetic voters who set out the last election cycle, or yeah. or the college educated Trump voters who maybe now are regretting it. Yeah, do we have any of those here? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm hopeful. I mean, I think Clark Tucker's a great candidate, and uh, French Hill is, you know, is. Uh, I think the most devastating thing run on him recently was that analysis done by a guy from a consumer finance group, uh, the Wall Street flunky list. And, I mean, he did a little name calling, but French Hill's gotten $2.2 million from Wall Street, and the list of legislation he sponsored or supported is all in favor of money lenders and against consumer interest. That's just black and white. Now, I mean, he's of the view that if you help Wall Street, you help America, and it's really good for the credit card companies that you can never get out of debt from them, that you can never discharge your debts in bankruptcy. But some consumers might view that situation differently. I, I happen to, but that's just me. Call, sure. me a, call me a liberal. Or a socialist progressive like the Selene Republicans. I don't know if you read that funny story today. Yeah, well, tell us about it. Oh, the, the chairman of the uh, Republican Party in, in Saline County, Steve Lux, sent a letter out to all the members of the Chamber of Commerce down there saying there was this progressive group in Saline County. And because they had their progressive in their name and they're supporting some Democratic candidates, they don't have any Democrats in office down there currently, he decided they were social, associated with something called the Progressive Socialist Party, a national party, which, by the way, is kind of a democratic social. It's not that dangerous anyway. But he says they believe in the government taking over private business. Well, it's just absurd. There's this little group. The head of it's a woman who works in a Methodist church in Little Rock, and they do they feed the hungry at food pantries, and they've recruited a few Democratic candidates for quorum court and that sort of thing. They have no association with the progressive socialists. But it, it, it's kind of, it's along with, the black advertising, it's along with French Hill's MS-13 advertising, it's along with Tom Cotton's ads from French Hill about the hordes of immigrants. It's all about fear. It's all about scaring the living crap out of people, um, whether it's with immigrants or black people or, right out or of the, communists. The or, playbook. Or, or, it's right out of the Trump playbook. And and it works. That's That's the bad thing. Okay, well, much more election talk next week. Early voting starts Monday, right? Monday. Vote. Let's move on to endorsements. What do you got this week? I got negative endorsements. Okay. And, and, and what, first of all, I was hopeful about the Romanoffs' new thing from Matthew Weiner, the Mad Men, and I watched the first episode, and I don't know. I, it was kind of oh, I like the first episode. It was okay. That I apartment mean, was amazing. The apartment was great, but, you know, funny, one of the things I look forward to is kind of the travelogue aspect. And, and although it was set in Paris and there was, it wasn't as rich in that as I thought, but, but anyway, I thought it was kind of slow, but the one that, that really, that I really hated, but it, it, it prompts sort of an interesting discussion. I don't know if you want to, and it's camping, uh, the new HBO comedy starring Jennifer Gardner. It's written by Lena Dunham and somebody else famous named Coors or something. Anyway, I watched the first episode. I hated it. I hated it. I hated every second of it. I thought, and, and I am not alone in this. I joined a lot of 
you know, Jennifer Gardner, Gardner's this girl next door, everybody loves her. She, she was in Arkansas this week. And this kind of how I got led in this, she was in Arkansas this week and doing some do good work for some charity for poor children. A wonderful thing, good for her. And I, But I said something on Twitter about it. I said, I don't know what she's here for, but I hate her show. And it made Jim Hendren very mad. You're just a hater. I'm not going to follow you on Twitter anymore. <laughs> so, 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 so anyway, I said, I, you know, I got nothing against Jennifer Gardner. I just don't like this show. And so I went back and looked at some stuff online. Well, it turns out I'm a misogynist. There's this whole huge thing that has erupted in which most of the critics do not like the show. And it's because she's sort of an irrit because Gardner's character in the show was irritating, compulsive, obsessive. You just she just drives you crazy. Well, the the theme is this is that nobody ever says that they hated the Larry David show because he's an irritating, obsessive, compulsive character. It's because she's a woman. And we, we just, you know, we can take irritating men, but we can't take irritating women. And I thought, well, I don't know, maybe. I mean, I thought Lena Dunham's character on Girls was incredibly irritating, but I like the show. I mean, I, 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 I kind of reject a black and white sure. assessment of that. But, but, but maybe, 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 the, the, maybe these alternative views are on to something. Maybe it's just... That I, I mean, I wrote, I read a, in Vogue, I guess, a woman writer saying that this, this is really a brilliant show. It's precisely because she's so irritating that the show is so great. And I thought, well, well, all I'm gonna say is, maybe so, but I'm not gonna watch it anymore. <laughs> all right, we need to have more of these cultural takes. Uh, well, I have a fairly lame endorsement, and that is the, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's basically the Kroger brand coconut paleta. Uh, which is like a Mexican popsicle. I don't really know what oh, paleta. Di- differentiates uh, paletas from popsicles. I think paletas maybe are supposed to be more fruit, less sugary yeah, sweet. I don't know. It's so good. It's the Kroger best popsicle I've ever had. Well, you know, it's like a it's store brand. Yeah, whatever that That's is. That's good. Um, I'm a big popsicle fiend. I, I don't I don't drink milk or do creamy stuff. So. Got to get my, my frozen fix in um, and popsicles and sorbet and the like. But if you like coconut, I love coconut. Check them out. Crazy about coconut. I mean, it's not really popsicle weather, but still. Okay, with that, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Off on, we go. On iTunes or your favorite spot. And check us check out our, our family of podcasts at arctimes.com slash podcasts. See you next time.